Well, good morning. Welcome. I'm Fred. If you're new here, I want to say a special welcome. Thanks for coming to visit and check us out. Hopefully we handed you uh, one of our handouts on the way in. If not, make sure you grab one of these before you leave because there's something we want to ask you to do as a guest on here. There's a little QR code that says connect card. If you have a smartphone, you can just uh, take your camera and put it over that and it'll the website should pop right up. We'd love to know that you are visiting with us today and know how that we can um, maybe pray for you or just answer any questions that you have or be in touch with you. So if you uh, would like to connect with us, please fill out the connect card. There's a couple of announcements I want to make. Um, we have some things planned over the next few weeks that you may want to be thinking about. One is child dedication. If you're not familiar with child dedication, I did put a video in our Facebook group this week uh, that was my attempt to answer any questions that you might have. But if I didn't answer your questions, please feel free to reach out and let me know. We can talk about child dedication. But basically, it's an opportunity for you as parents uh, to commit yourselves and for us as a church to commit ourselves to raising our children to know the Lord and to love the Lord uh, as he gives us the grace and the opportunities to do that. And so uh, it is uh, in contrast to infant or child baptism, which we do not practice and for reasons that I explained in the Facebook group. And so if you have any questions about that, please let me know. But speaking of baptism, we do practice believer's baptism, which is a baptism that you participate in after you have received Jesus as Savior and professed your faith in him and committed your life to following him as Lord and Savior. And so if you would have questions about being baptized, which is a one-time event that you do as a Christian, I uh, would love to talk to you about that. Lord willing, we're going to have a baptism service on Easter Sunday, which is the best time to have a baptism, by the way, because baptism is a symbol of the, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, um, Lord willing, we're going to do that in the new building on Easter Sunday. If for some reason we don't get in the building by then, and I know Greg already kind of gave that, that preface, um, we do think we will be in. But if for some reason we don't get in, uh, we'll just simply delay that until the time when we can get in there and do it. But it's going to be really Real soon. So if you've not been baptized as a believer, please let me know. We'd love to talk to you and see if this is the time to be baptized. All right. So with that, uh, by way of announcements, let's get into the word together. We're in John chapter six. Uh, it's going to take us three weeks to get through John chapter six. This is week number two. So we started this chapter last week. And I, and I speak of John six that way, not because every chapter uh, in the Bible or every chapter in the gospel of John is, you know, they're not like chapters in a book. Some, it's, it's really just one long book that we've broken up into chapters so that we can kind of reference things and find things easier. But chapter six in particular does sort of from beginning of the chapter to the end of chapter tell one big story that that is teaching um, some points that sort of flow out of that story. And so we're sort of approaching John chapter 6 uh, as, uh, as one chapter, one, one thought that is, that is weaved throughout this chapter, um, but it's going to take us a couple weeks to get through it. So we're going to look at the middle portion of that chapter this week, and starting in verse 25. Let me give you some context for verse 25. You, you might remember from last week that we talked about the time when Jesus fed what we believe was about 20,000 people uh, with just one boy's small lunch that he had packed. And it was a miraculous event. It was an event that pointed back to God's miraculous feeding of the Israelites in the Old Testament after the Exodus. We talked about all of that last week, so I won't repeat it. But that's an important context, not only for, for that part of John chapter 6, but where we're at today. And so I, I want to remind you of that story. What I'm not going to read, but I just want to quickly summarize, is that after that miraculous feeding of, of the thousands of people that, that Jesus did, and that miracle, at the end of that, they wanted to make him king. They saw his miraculous power. They saw the connections to the Old Testament promises that God would give them a new leader, a new Moses, or a new prophet. And we've already seen in John's gospel that Jesus is the new and better Moses and that he is the new and better prophet. And so they want to make him king. So what Jesus does is he sends his, his 12 disciples, his closest followers, away. He, he basically sends them uh, to get in the boats and to sail across the Sea of Galilee to another part of the land of Israel. 
and then he goes away by himself. He dismisses the crowd. He goes away by himself. And so you've got Jesus going in one direction, his disciples going in another direction. And then in the middle of the night, as his disciples are out on the water of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus comes to them walking on the water. You probably remember hearing this story. If not, just read John chapter 6. But this gospel, or this, this account in John chapter 6 leaves out some of the details that occur in the other gospels. This is the instance where um, Peter actually gets out of the boat and begins walking on the water as well. And then he quickly loses faith and he begins to sink and Jesus grabs him. They get in the boat together. Uh, so Jesus, I just say that uh, for context. Jesus has revealed himself to the crowd to the multitude. He's shown his power by feeding them, the miraculous feeding. And now he's shown himself to his disciples again through a miracle by walking on the water, by even empowering one of them to do something miraculous, to join him in walking on the water. And so, of course, everybody's talking about who is this Jesus? With all of that going on, you got to ask yourself questions. Who is this man? Is, where did he come from? Where does he get his power? What is his purpose? Okay, so they sail across the Sea of Galilee to another part of, of the country, and the crowd finds him there. That's where we're at in verse 25. Let's read together. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? This is the crowd, okay? Jesus answered, truly I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. What sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you, they asked. What are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. See, they didn't miss that when he fed them. He doesn't mention the manna in the wilderness uh, at that time, but they, they understood the connection. Just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Let me just pause right there. So they've placed their faith in Moses. They, Moses is the one who fed them, they say. Jesus corrects them. It wasn't Moses who fed them. He was the leader of the Israelite people at that time. But it wasn't Moses that brought about this miracle. It was God. It was the Father in heaven who caused the bread to come down from heaven. And now he's given them this new bread. So they say in verse 34, let's pick back up. Then they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Verse 35, I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. No one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me and yet do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. All right, so that's as far as we're going to go in the text this week. Let's unpack this a little bit together. Jesus is answering some of their questions. Like I mentioned, he does these miraculous things. It's causing them to wonder who he is. It's causing them to make assumptions about who he is. We saw at, at the end of the last passage that they tried to make him king, so they made some assumptions. This is the coming king. This is the coming Messiah. This is the one who's going to lead, lead us in deliverance from the Roman oppressors. He's going to free the nation of Israel. He's our king. And so he's, he begins to answer some of their questions about who he is. All right, so let's look at the handout together. A couple things, that, a couple fill in the blanks for you as we go through today. The first is this. People follow Jesus for different reasons. People follow Jesus for different reasons. 
this really, uh, this would have been great if this was just a sermon in and of itself. The, the couple of verses that, that I want to look at here, namely 26 through 29, would have made a great sermon in and of itself. But, you know, I've committed myself to taking some bigger chunks so that we don't spend the rest of our earthly lives in the Gospel of John. And so we're just, this is just part of the sermon. But people follow Jesus for different reasons. Notice what happens when the crowd appears before Jesus. Now, remember, he fed them a different, uh, all of this is taking place around the Sea of Galilee, all right, different towns that were along the coast of the Sea of Galilee, and the people received the miraculous bread and the fish, and, and, and they, they wanted to make him king, and then he dismisses them. He resists their attempt to give him a promotion, and he sends them away. They are not content, so on foot they come and find him. Now, I don't know, I, I tried to get some, some better answers to this. I'm not sure how far around the Sea of Galilee they had to go. There was some, some confusing information, because when I was in Israel a few years ago, I remember there's this little chapel um, that is built where they say the miracle of feeding the multitude happened. And there's this, actually, it's, it's kind of an interesting place, like a lot of these sites. There's a little chapel that you can go into, and there's a stone that comes up out of the floor that they say something, it was something like they set the basket that had the, the, the loaves and the fish on that stone or something like that. Highly unlikely that anything like that happened, but as religious people often do, they were like, they immortalized this stone. And so this stone comes up out of the floor and there's this little altar over it and stuff. And then not far from there uh, is Capernaum and some of the places where the rest of this seems to take place. And so I, 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 that's another reason why I don't trust the accuracy of that's where that was at, because they would not have necessarily gotten in boats to go from one of those towns to the next. The scriptures tell us, and we can trust the scriptures, the scriptures tell us that they got in boats. So we know, and they sailed through the night. So we know this is a ways away. I say all that to say these people went to great lengths to catch up to Jesus. They're not being casual about this in any, in any way, shape, or form. They have shown what I, would, what I would perceive as great commitment to being near Jesus. And how does Jesus respond to them? Let's look at it together again. Verse 26, Jesus answered, truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Jesus, far from being flattered <laughs> that they had gone to such lengths to be near him, actually rebukes them. He corrects them. He says, you're, you're, you're not here because you want to know the truth. You're not here because of who I am. You're here because of what I can give you, what I can do for you. You are content to be near Jesus and to receive the benefits that just naturally fall off of him. The breadcrumbs, if you will, that just seem to follow Jesus around. They want to be a part of that. They want to be caught up in this cloud of miracles and this cloud of provision and this, this, this cloud of all of these seemingly earthly benefits of being near Jesus. But he sees right through that. He knows their hearts. You are looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. You guys are here for more bread, aren't you? Well, let's talk about bread. <laughs> Jesus uses that to talk to them and to drop some deep, important spiritual truth on them. So he says, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life. Their work up to this point was simply to travel. They're there for food that's going to perish. Um, from their perspective, perhaps that's an easier way to get food than the alternatives. And so they're there. They're working for food that perishes. They're putting in effort to get something that will perish. Jesus says, don't work for that. But work for the food that lasts for eternal life which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. Okay, so they say, well, what, 
What can we do to perform the works of God? Jesus, you're saying we should change what we're working for. Explain this. How do we work for this? How do we do the works of God? How do we participate in this work that's going to lead to eternal life? Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. Well, who is the one he has sent? He's revealing himself as the one who has been sent by the Father. Don't work for food that perishes. Instead, do the work of believing in Jesus for eternal life. You see how quickly Jesus turned them away from literal physical bread that literally perishes. That like I mean, we talked about this a little bit last week. I mean, up until like the 1990s when McDonald's mastered the craft of creating bread that never perishes. Like you can keep a McDonald's bun forever. It'll never change. Up until then, bread perished. <laughs> I remember that growing up. Remember bread used to get moldy and it used to go bad. And I, I don't know what in the world we're eating now. But for, for all of human history until like 20 years ago, bread used to perish. And they're literally working for this bread that will perish I mean, how long does bread even keep you full? A couple of hours? That's what they're working for. Temporary satisfaction of a physical need. That's, that's as far as they can see. Okay? Jesus says, look a little further. Think about eternity. Think about what it means to live eternally. Think about what it takes to receive eternal life and work for that. Okay, Jesus, how do we work for that? Believe in me. Believe in the one who sent me. You see, people follow Jesus for different reasons. Some people are content to be near Jesus. Some people are content to be around the idea of Jesus. Some people are content with uh, just maybe showing up to church. Receiving something. You know, I feel good when I go to church. You should feel good when you go to church. This is how you were created. You were created to to connect to your creator and to receive life from from him. But we can get caught in this rut of not really connecting to him. I just like the the uplifting music and I like being around people that that are happy and and friendly. And and all of that is, that's just food that perishes. That's just being near Jesus without truly having Jesus. Jesus. And we have this thing, we've, we've always had this thing. We see it was a, it was a part of Jesus' earthly ministry of, of this thing of nominal Christianity where people are just, just Christians sort of in name only. There's no real commitment, there's no real desire to, to have and to behold Jesus. There's no real desire to believe in him for eternal life. There's this contentment at just being near him or other people who do believe those things. Don't be content with that. Don't be content to be around Jesus, but not be devoted to Jesus. There's so much more than that bread that just perishes than that bread that just fills you for a little while but doesn't last and doesn't bring eternal life. Chapter 6 is going to become, as we, as we finish up the chapter next week, it's going to become a contrast between the crowd that follows Jesus for those temporary physical benefits and the few, namely the 12 disciples. Actually, Jesus is going to kind of whittle it down to 11 because he's going to call out Judas at the end of chapter 6. It's going to be a contrast between this crowd that wants what Jesus has to offer in terms of, of temporary, immediate, physical benefits and those who are truly devoted. For some reason at this point in Jesus' ministry, reasons I'm not, I'm not sure he completely reveals to us, he, he pushes away the crowd. There are times before this, and I, probably even sometimes after this, I'd have to think about that a little bit more, where Jesus welcomes the crowd and he allows people to just witness the miracles and to witness his presence and to, to taste of who he is a little bit without any sort of devotion or commitment to him. But in John chapter 6, Jesus takes a multitude of people, thousands of people, and he pushes all of them away. 
except for just a handful. And the distinction that he makes between the two is those who want these, this bread that perishes and those who truly want the bread of life. That's the distinction he makes between the two. And so it becomes this contrast between these two responses to Jesus. It becomes this contrast between the crowd who's enamored by, by what he can do and those who truly believe in who he is and want to devote themselves. We'll talk about that more next week. I love the way John chapter 6 ends. And think about this. You, you know, we, we connected this last week to the Israelites in the desert and the manna and everything. And, and one of the things that we observed in that story in Exodus chapter 16 is that there were people who reaped the benefits of God's miracle, miraculous provision of the manna. There were people who went out and gathered and ate the manna, but they didn't trust and obey him. Remember that? We, we, it was highlighted in two ways. The first was that they didn't trust him because they gathered more than they needed for that one day. That was the first thing he told them not to do. Trust that it's going to be there tomorrow. Just gather enough for today. And then the second way was that they went out on the Sabbath, which they were explicitly told, hey, just so you know, there's not going to be any man on the Sabbath. Gather enough the day before so that you have enough for the Sabbath. And th they didn't trust him. And they didn't obey him. So they were reaping the benefits. They're eating the manna. They're enjoying the, the miraculous provision of God, but they don't trust and obey. And here we see in John chapter 6, people reaping the benefits. They're eating the fish and the loaves and they're following Jesus, but they don't trust and they don't obey. That's what nominal Christianity is. Nominal Christianity at times can be almost impossible to discern from true Christians. You, you do all the same things. You, you participate in all the same activities. Um, you might even have an appearance of some sort of devotion to Jesus, but at the end of the day, you don't trust and obey. That's the difference. And so today, nominal Christianity, it might look like church attendance or occasional you know, religious posts on social media, you know, share this if you believe Jesus died for your sins and stuff. And you can share those. That's great if you believe that. But sometimes we're just doing that to, to identify with something that we don't truly trust and obey. People follow Jesus for different reasons. Make sure you are following Jesus for the right reasons. Okay, that's the first thing. This, the next one is this. Jesus is the bread of life. This is the most obvious thing uh, in, in the chapter. Jesus is the bread of life. The, the Gospel of John has, these, has this series of I am statements. There are several times where Jesus just self-discloses who he is with these memorable statements. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. This is the first of Jesus's I am statements. I am the bread of life. That's the statement he's going to make. And so let's observe that. Jesus is the bread of life. In other words, if you gain Jesus, you will gain life. Every other bread only sustains or satisfies for a short while. What do I mean by every other bread? I mean every other thing in life, everything else that we pursue, everything else that we seek after, everything else that we, we strive to attain, everything that we spend our money on, that we spend our time on, that we put our energy in, that we lie and think about, and that we, we, we desire to have these breads of the world, these things that we think are going to satisfy, and most of them do for a little while relationships, achievements, material possessions, those things aren't worthless. They're, it's not that there's no value to them. It's just that they're not the bread of life. They don't give eternal life. They don't sustain you forever. Jesus says that those who eat this bread will never be hungry. Those who, who, who come to him will never be thirsty. You can't say that about any other thing. 
You can have the best of marriages. You can have the most satisfying job. You can have all the money that you will ever need. You can have the greatest friends. And you can't say of any of that, this gives me eternal life. It doesn't. It doesn't satisfy it forever. It's bread that perishes. You understand, we're not saying those things are bad. We're saying they're less than. They're not the bread of life. Only Jesus. There's one thing in the universe that can give you eternal life. There's one thing in the universe that can satisfy forever. There's one thing in the universe that is truly the bread of life, and it's Jesus. It's not anything else. Let's look at verse 30 together. What sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you? Okay, up until now, you might have been sympathetic of the crowd. You might have thought, boy, Jesus, Jesus came out the gate kind of hard with these guys. Like, they walked all this distance. They showed some devotion. And the first thing Jesus does is he questions their motives. He calls them out. Okay, now we're seeing their hearts exposed. What sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you? How about all of the signs he's already done? <laughs> How about the one that he just did literally the day before? How about the miraculous feeding of 20,000 people? Is that not sign enough? Remember last week, we, we talked about this idea that miracles don't always lead to belief. We always say things like, if God would just, if God would show me this, if I would hear God's voice, if I would see God's face, I would believe the Bible is full of examples of people who saw miraculous things and did not believe and did not trust and obey. So stop asking God to do something more. Look at what he has already done. What sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you? Verse 30, they asked. What are you going to perform? Verse 31, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus says, wait a minute. Truly, I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven. This is important for him to point out. Because the bread that they ate in the wilderness came from the Father in heaven. And the bread that he's offering them now comes from the Father in heaven, okay? Same source. If they view Moses as the source of the bread in the wilderness, they're going to be confused about where this bread comes from. So he corrects them. Truly, I tell you, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they say, sir, give us this bread always. Okay, they're turning around. They're like, they're, they're getting this thing figured out. Sir, give us this bread. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. No one, comes, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But, I, but as I told you, you've seen me and yet do not believe. Again, here's another example of nominal Christianity. They appear to want what Jesus has to offer. Jesus says, Moses didn't give you bread. My father gave you bread, and he's, off, he's offering you bread again. And they're like, give us this bread. It's me. Oh, never mind. I told you, you've seen me, and you do not believe it just reinforces this idea. People aren't always convinced by what they see. We saw this last week. The people failed to trust God even though he'd done miraculous things for them. They saw the miraculous feeding. They were ready to make him king. A day later, they're looking for a new sign, a new proof. New, do, do another trick, Jesus. Do something to impress us today. We're not impressed by what happened yesterday. What kind of people is this? It's people just like us. <laughs> in reality, I mean, you can't, you, can't read, you can't read stories like this. And if you're anything like me at first, you're like, man, these people, they're a mess. And then I'm like, ah, oh, dang it. I'm a mess. <laughs> it's just people. 
We're just, we're people, they're people, we're all people. This is what people are like. And if you fail to understand this about humanity, you just won't understand the scriptures properly. They're not capable of believing on their own, and we're not capable of believing on our own. That's why Jesus says, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty. But as I told you, you've seen, and yet you do not believe. Nevertheless, he is the bread of life. That is as true as anything you will ever read in the Bible. It's him. He's the one who satisfies. He's the one who gives life. Those who believe and receive him will live. They'll live forever. They'll live eternally. The irony of their, 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 their exclamation, give us this bread. We want this bread. And Jesus says, I am the bread. And they don't want him. They wanted the temporary bread. But Jesus came to offer eternal bread. They wanted temporary satisfaction. They wanted to know that their stomachs were going to be full. They wanted to know that they had a new king who was going to look out for them politically and militarily. They wanted to know that Jesus was going to meet all of their expectations for the coming Messiah. Here's the thing. If Jesus is the bread of life, then if you have him, you have eternal life. If you don't have him, you don't have eternal life. That's a hard pill to swallow. It's a hard pill for, well, it's just a hard pill for human beings to swallow. That's why our culture rebels against that idea. That's why our world does not accept that truth. That's too exclusive. That leaves too many people out. But this is what Jesus says. And we got to take it or leave it. And I'm going to take it. I'm going to believe him. We, we've been doing this thing, many of us uh, at Redemption, where we're, we're reading through the New Testament together this year. And we're not just going straight through. I've been um, picking different books each, each week for us to read in the New Testament. This week we read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which are different than the Gospel of John, though they have the same author. They're letters that the author of the Gospel of John wrote. Uh, he wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, in the book of Revelation. And so... Um, John that we're reading from here wrote several books in the New Testament. One of the most um, striking and memorable things from 1 John, I find in 1 John chapter 5. Perhaps it stood out to you as you were reading this week. In 1 John chapter 5, he said in verse 11, this won't be on the screen, just listen as I read. And this is the testimony, God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. The one who has the son who has life The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. If you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. It really can't get any simpler than that. And it's not enough just to be near the Son. It's not enough to just be part of the crowd that follows Jesus when he's doing the things they want him to do and abandons Jesus when he starts to do or say things they don't like. If you have the Son, you are devoted to the Son. You are committed to the Son. You see the Son in his true beauty. And when he says difficult things or he does things that you don't like, you still believe and you still trust. It's so important that you come back next week to see how that plays out among the 12 disciples. Okay? But I can't preach that yet. We can't get there. Or I'll have to think of something else to preach next week. (laughs) Jesus is the bread of life. Nothing else. You can, you can have those other things if God permits, if God gives you a good job, if God gives you good relationships, if God provides for you financially. You can, you, there's, I'm not telling you you have to get rid of those things. But you better understand that those don't give life, that Jesus alone can do that because he is the bread of life. Okay, so so far we've seen that people follow Jesus for different reasons. We want to emphasize and really dwell on this idea that Jesus is the bread of life. Let's, let's go to this final thing on the handout. Jesus will keep those he has been given. 
He'll keep those he has been given. Make sure you jot that down real quick because that'll go away when we get into, um, into the verses here in a second. He's going to keep those he was given. He says this whole chapter is, I mean, Jesus's words just, first of all, he's just, I mean, he's maneuvering through these guys' hearts and minds so quickly. He's going boom, 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 one thing to the next. He's hitting them with this, and then he's hitting them with that. And it's just an unbelievable chapter where Jesus is just dropping these mega bombs on them that they have to process. It's, it's no wonder what happens in the next part of this passage happens because Jesus is coming at them. But this is what he says next. Verse 37, everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So Jesus gets us into this whole concept and conversation about eternal security and the assurance of salvation. And can you lose your salvation? Can you be a Christian and then later reject that and not be a Christian anymore? Meaning you were once saved, but now you're not saved. Or is it that you're once you're saved, you're always saved. And does that mean that after you become saved, you can go and you can just do anything you want? And it just takes us, he throws us into this, this whole thing, this whole theology of what it means to be saved. Saved and how do we keep that salvation or do we keep that salvation? And these are important questions that Christians have wrestled with and dealt with all throughout Christian history. And, and smart, Jesus-loving, Bible-believing Christians have been on different sides of those debates. And most of us have known people whom this is a relevant question for. We have people that this really becomes important when somebody we love has walked away from or changed their mind about Christianity or has been living in just perpetual sin, inconsistent with uh, being a Christian. That's when this really gets important. And so Jesus doesn't answer all those questions here, but he answers a couple of them. And he answers them in a very unique context. He answers them in the context of a story where most of the people who have been following Jesus turn their back and go the other way. Okay, so this is, uh, uh, this is perhaps the most appropriate time for Jesus to address this. It hasn't happened yet, but he's foreshadowing that this is about to happen. He knows they're getting ready to leave. He knows they're getting ready to walk away. And so he preempts that with this saying, everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. Like, I don't know if Jesus is preaching to himself or if he's preaching to the disciples, the 12 that will stay, or he's preaching to this, I think he's preaching to everybody, right? Like he's, he knows what's about to happen. And he's emphasizing this point. I'll keep everybody who's been given to me. Okay, well, there's some natural questions that come out. Who has been given to Jesus? Is it everybody who ever comes to Jesus and, and, and expresses some sort of belief? If so, that means the crowd, because they believe in him to some degree. You know, we have to define what is saving belief, what is saving faith. Do they have saving faith? If so, why did they turn away, and why does Jesus say this? If it's everybody who ever just, like, nodded towards Jesus, if it's anybody who, who has ever just given any type of uh, agreement to, to the ministry of Jesus, then it has to include the crowd. Well, that wouldn't make sense in the context of this story, would it? Because they all abandoned him. In fact, we're going to see that even among the 12, there's one that, that, that Jesus doesn't keep, and that's Judas. He doesn't keep Judas. He allows Judas to betray him. He allows Judas. Now, well, I just, I'm not going to get off 
on, on any, I just want to stay focused on what Jesus says here. This is the will of my Father, verse 40. Everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. I will raise him up on the last day. One thing we can be sure of, if you do that, he will do that. If you, here's what you do, see the Son and believes in him. Again, it's important to understand the context of biblical belief is, is not just mere mental agreement to an idea, okay? But it's, it's a belief that trusts and obeys. We'll come back to that, okay? It's a belief that trusts and obeys. It's a belief that brings about change. Everyone who does that, everyone who sees the Son and believes, if you see the Son and believe, you will have eternal life, and he will raise you up on the last day. That's the promise Jesus makes here. He'll keep those who have been given to him. Who are the ones who have been given to him? The ones who see and believe. The ones who truly trust. Now, what does that look like? How does that play out in our life? This is so hard to define that, isn't it? So hard to define that. You know, many of us have, have had loved ones who have made a profession of faith. But unfortunately, before passing, didn't give us a ton of confidence that that profession of faith brought about true biblical change. And, and you know, we, we, in those instances, we just have to hope. We just have to hope and believe and trust in Jesus and just say, God, I, I know you save, you save the worst of sinners. And I know, I mean, think about Jesus saving the thief on the cross. Here's a guy, there was like no radical life change in his life. He just died a criminal. But there was this moment of true belief. And it's just impossible to know exactly when that has happened in some cases. And so when we come to those places where we're like, man, I, I got loved ones that, you know, they, they made that profession. I'm just not sure. I just said, my advice, my, uh, what I think, what I do, is I just hope. I just know Jesus is good, and I just say, oh, man, Jesus, I trust you. I trust you. He's, he's the Savior who keeps those he has been given. And I just, I just pray that's the case of those loved ones. I think that's what we should do. Let's look at John chapter 10. A little bit later in the gospel, this is going to come up again. In John chapter 10, this is in the context of uh, Jesus being the good shepherd, Another one of his I am statements. In John 10, verse 24 through 30, it says this. The Jews surrounded him and asked, how long are you going? This, okay, this is near the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. So a lot has happened between John chapter 6 and John chapter 10. But there's still some of the same issues and debates going on between him and the Jews. In verse 24, the Jews surrounded him and asked, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And then he says in verse 25, I did tell you, and you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify about me. I'm telling you through my works. He's telling them through his words as well. But he's saying here, I'm telling you through my works. My works testify. They're screaming. The works that I do are screaming about who I am. But you don't believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. You ever wonder why, like, two people can see, witness the same mercy and act of God and have two completely different responses? That's what Jesus is saying here. He's like, I got sheep. They hear my voice. They look at this, and they believe, and they see, and they have eternal life. Here's the good thing about being Jesus' sheep. He keeps you. He keeps you. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. In order for someone, in order for something, including you, to take away the salvation that God has granted you through the work and ministry and life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, they would have to take you from Jesus' hand. 
You ever, uh, parents, I hope you've done this. If not, um, get your parenting game together, okay? Take something your kid really wants and then close it in your hand and don't let them have it, right? Like you're just, just playing with them, messing with them, right? Like, have, have, isn't it fun for somebody who's not as strong as you to try to take, take something from you, right? Like, it's, it's exciting. You're like, man, I'm, I'm like the Hulk here. They can't get out. Never mind that it's a three-year-old girl. But like, <laughs> in order to take it from my hand, you must be stronger than me. Jesus is saying your salvation is in my hand. If you know somebody, if you know something stronger than Jesus you should fret over your assurance of salvation. <laughs> but if you don't, you should rest peacefully, knowing that he holds you in his hand. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. Do you know somebody greater than the father? If so, they may be able to take you from, from salvation. If not then you can rest. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Are one. In order for you to lose your salvation, someone or something must be stronger than Jesus the Son and God the Father. That's why Paul would write in Romans chapter 8, neither life nor death nor things present or things unseen nor things in the past or things to come or nothing can separate us from the love of God. He will keep those whom he has been given. This is good news for us that we can rest in him, that we can rest in the assurance of our salvation, that if we have truly believed if we have truly placed our faith, this is why nominal Christianity is so dangerous. If you think that, that you have Jesus, but you do not, you must become convinced that you have Jesus. Because if you don't have him, you don't have life. But if you have him, you have life, and no one will take you from his hand. It's important to settle that within yourself. It's important to, to, to know that you have believed in and trusted in Jesus for salvation. So here's, here's my application of this. In response, I would suggest that we examine why we are coming to Jesus. Do we truly want him or do we just want some of the benefits of being near him? After all, he is the bread of life. He's the only thing that can satisfy eternally. He's the only thing that can last forever. And if we have settled that in our hearts and in our minds, that Jesus truly is all that we want, and that if we had to give up everything else to have him, we would do it right here, right now, then we rest. We trust in him. He's stronger than anyone or anything that might try to take us away from him, including ourselves, including our own minds and our own broken hearts and sinfulness. I might grow old and totally lose my mind. It happens. And totally forget what Jesus has done for me. And no longer be able to express my love for him and my faith for him. And even so, I would trust he will keep me in his hand and raise me up on the last day because he has secured my salvation. Not my mind, not my own actions, not my own words, but my Savior, Jesus. I want to invite you to that same trust. I want to ask the worship team to come, prepare to lead us in worship. As we do that, would you just close your eyes and just for a moment, consider your own relationship with Jesus Christ. As we get ready to respond in worship, would you do what I just asked us to? Would you just think about why you want to be near Jesus? Why, in other words, why do you come to church? Why are you here? I don't, I don't mean that like I don't want you here. <laughs> but like, why are you here? Is it because you know and you believe 
that Jesus is the bread of life and that he can give eternal life? If so, enjoy him. Believe and trust. Obey and trust. Believe in him. And go home tonight and rest, knowing that you're safe in his hands. And go home tonight and believe that nothing can take you away from the Father. They would have to overcome the God of the universe to pull you away. And we rest in him. And if you've not made that commitment, but today the Lord has just placed that on your heart. And you know today is the day I'm going to believe. Today is the day I'm going to trust. I just want to invite you as we pray to just ask Jesus to be your Savior. To turn your life over to him right now and say, Jesus, save me from my sins. Give me eternal life. Let me have this bread of life. And be confident that he will come and he will save you. And you will be what the Bible describes as being born again, having a new life, a life that will last forever. And rejoice in that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. You have sent bread from heaven. And it's bread that doesn't just fill us up for a little while. It doesn't just satisfy temporarily. It is the bread of life. And all who eat it will not be hungry, nor will they be thirsty. But rather they will have eternal life and no one will take them from your hands. For you are stronger than any opposition to our salvation. And we rejoice in you. So help us to live lives of faithful obedience. Help us to live lives that honor and glorify you. And that in that last day, you will raise us up. And that forever, we'll rejoice in your presence. And God, for anybody who's making that step today to come to you for salvation, welcome them with open arms into the family of Christ and give them assurance today that they have been born again, that their sins are taken away because Jesus died on the cross for them. But he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. And he gives eternal life to all those who come to him. We love you and we thank you. And we rejoice in this in Jesus' name. Amen.